Okay. All right, so I'm just going to mute everybody unless you have something to ask me. Say that. Okay. Parashat Korach. There's a very famous, uh, I got it in, uh, in, in Maseches uh, Baba Batra, Ayn Dalad, Daf uh, Ayn Dalad, that's where this, uh, these famous sets of Agadites are. Um, and uh, there's a, this collection of uh, Agadic material um, is, is generally is known to us as the Agadites of uh, Rabba Barbar Khanna. And um, there are 15 different little stories that, um, that he teaches over. Um, and each one of them engages in a kind of an encounter, you know, between different people, uh, famous locations. And uh, he, he, takes, he takes somebody down to see um, some of these interesting, uh, you know, encounters. And he, he tells them uh, in the story, he tells them or gives them an opportunity to, to, to learn um, lessons of Musar, etc. And um, most of the poskim uh, look at these stories as allegorical, meaning that they, they, they love Dafka happened, re really actually happened. But, um, um, but nevertheless, they're there as a, as a kind of a, an opportunity to, to teach, to teach uh, Musar and Chochmah. So um, you can find quite a few great Achronim who put uh, who put time into trying to you know expand on these particular uh, stories of Rabbi Barbarana. And so we'll we'll have a look at one of them, and um, we'll see what kind of uh, what lesson we can learn from it. So one of the, the, the one of the most famous ones um, is the story of Rabbi Barbarana. Who uh, who encountered a an an Arab um, uh, an Arab businessman, a merchant, a trader, and this Arab said to him, "You know, do you want to see where Korach's men are are buried?" So he was excited, and he, he so he went well, he went along with this guy, and this fella took him to a particular location in the desert. And um, there's kind of this, it was kind of this, 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 uh, this, this crevice in the actual, in the actual ground. And there was smoke rising up from this crevice in the ground. And um, Rabbi Barbachana takes, is asked to take a, a piece of, of, of wool and he 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 dips the piece of wool in water, and then he wraps it around the tip of 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 the of a spear, and he lowers the the spear into the into the crevice, and when he withdraws it, the wool had 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 been singed, and uh, the Arab merchant then says to him, you know, put your ear to the ground. And he, he puts his ear to the ground and he hears voices of Korach and his Korach and his men. And um, and the and what he hears is the famous statement, you know, Moshe MS, you know, Moshe is true, uh, and his Torah is true, 
and 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 we are we are nothing but liars. Now that's the basic story of of Rabbi Barbachana that he, you know, that he was taken to see uh, the place where Korach was swallowed up. Korach and his men were were swallowed up. Um. Anyway, this is the basic story. So now the question is, how do we interpret this 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 Agadita? What do we what can we what we can can we learn from over here? Um, what are all these props in the story? You know, what's the what's the spear? What's the what's the soaked wool water? You know, what's the fire, etc. How do we put it all together? So, in order to appreciate how we do this, we I'm going to share with you a chidush that uh, we find in the writings uh, of Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger, um, who. Um, you know, he has a go at interpreting the story and and, and actually um, offers us a wonderful insight. But uh, in order to appreciate his insight, we need to um, just take a bit of a detour to discuss the nature um, of of Machlekes and why it's such a problem. Now, obviously, when we talk about Pasha uh, Korach, we always need to revise the issues of uh, of, of confrontation that comes from competition, um, from engaging in debate, etc. Obviously, the nature of uh, engaging in debate is is something that's encouraged. In the end of the day, you know, you just walk your, walk yourself into a base of medrash, and you and you um, and and you know, you'll see the the, the development of Torahs as a result of the fact that people are arguing it out, you know, with with each other, and so. There's a there's an element of debate, uh, argumentation that produces uh, good things. It produces a certain level of creativity, and uh, and truth eventually uh, come you know rise to the fore. Um, but obviously, at the same time, the other side of the coin of machlokes is that it becomes a becomes really destructive. And so, how do we sort of understand the difference between? A constructive machlokes and destructive machlokes. So, a number of comments are made by the Balea Musar uh, in in this uh, in this regard. Um, there's a there are a couple of different stories. I don't know exactly where the original story lies, but I've seen uh, this nature of this particular story that I'll share with you. You may even know it's quite famous. Uh, the first time I saw it was Rabbi Yaakov Milita, who's a uh, who's well known to us for his commentary on Choshen uh, Mishpat. Uh, he's known as the Nesivus HaMishpat, a genius of a, a Litvish Gaon of, uh, of note, um, who writes about, uh, I mean, his whole commentaries on Choshen Mishpat, on, on torts, damages, rights, etc. You know, he, he tells a story about himself, that he was, um, you know, he, he encountered, he encountered a, a person who came who came to him to ask him a shayla about something that was uh, and about his animal, whether it was kosher, it wasn't kosher. And, you know, you can imagine in a place like uh, in, in, in Lita, it wasn't so easy to just uh, uh, accept the that your that your animal is treif. I mean, it's, it's a fortune of money, and it wasn't so readily available. Anyway, the, you know, the butcher comes and asks the shayla, and uh, and uh, and he paskins that 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 the animal is treif, 
a similar story as I said, I might even be mixing up the, the protagonists. I've read it in uh, you know, about Chaim Briska, about Michel Salanta, and uh, and even the Nesiv Zamishbat. Anyway, so the, the, the story goes that the, the fellow accepted the Psak. And, uh, you know, the Rabbonim were incredibly, um, incredibly proud of this guy that he was able to accept the Psak, and, and even though it cost him a lot, a lot of money. Um, yet at the same time, when there was a, a Machlekes, a Din Torah between the same butcher and uh, and somebody else, and the, and the Din Torah came in front of one of these Rabbonim, um, and the Rabbonim ruled against, you know, as I say, wherever the story played itself out, um, the Rabbonim ruled against him, and there he like went absolutely berserk. He refused to accept the the psak of the Din Torah, and um, and and the question now that the Rabbonim were asked or had to contemplate was, I mean, it's the same guy. The guy Mamish was a, you know, the guy came and he was makabel all of the tuck of the Rabbonim that his animal was trafe. He lost a fortune of money, and in there he was okay. But when when the Din Torah ruled against him. Then all of a sudden, he absolutely, you know, threw his toys out the cot, and you know, all his bitters came collapsing down in a in a heap. And so, the Bala Musa point out over here that uh, based on the pasuk in in Kohelet, there's a, an opportunity to understand, you know, what what goes on over here. So Shlomo Melech tells us, you know, that uh, that that that. That all that all part of um, he sees that all positive uh, outcomes arise from you know man's rivalry with his fellow. As soon as there are two people in an equation, there exists a tendency for each one to try and prove his worth relative to the other or his superiority over him, etc. Uh, and this is this is the musar of the story over here that. Um, when the Rabbonim paskened against the guy that his massive animal, expensive animal was treif, uh, there he was able to, he, he accepted it. But if the same person was in a din Torah with someone else and he was told to pay, and he's told that he lost the din Torah, there he's ate and he, he, he completely refused to listen. You know, it's because, you know, yeah, he's losing to somebody else. So, you know, yeah, in when when I coach Baruch Paskin the Shah, the Rabboni Paskin was trafe. So in the end of the day, okay, he he uh Baruch decreed that he, he would he would lose he would lose money. So but who's he losing to? You know, he's losing but he's not losing to anybody else. When he loses a din Torah, then losing to somebody else. He doesn't just lose. And that's a whole different um, story altogether. There, Ayat Sohoros Chapas, you know, and and uh, our so-called uh, religious commitment to to observance collapses so much quicker when we lose to somebody else as a result of our uh, of, our, of our egos. And so, this is uh, this is this is now important to to digest when it comes to. The world of Shmirat Hamitzvahs as well, because um, if we if we start to think about it, 
um, when a person wants to do a mitzvah, so a person wants to do the mitzvah behiduro as, as best as you can. And therefore, those of us who, who are able to will say, look, have a, a, a kiyum, we have a fulfillment or a chiyuv to be mahader in, in, in mitzvahs. And, you know, we prepare to dig deep, buy a beautiful pair of fill-in and a fantastic etrog, etc. And, uh, and, we, and we, we're getting, we engage with this. We, we legitimize our investment because it's a, it's a hidur mitzvah. Uh, and the Bala Musar point out that Enechanami uh, is fantastic, but one, one needs to always ask oneself if, um, you know, how L'shem Shamayim is this? Uh, in other words, what's the level of our motivation? So if a, if a person has as, as your goal, you know, that you want to appear better than somebody else uh, via the so-called investment in mitzvah, you know, there you're going to darken the hidur substantially. Um, whereas if a person is mamish l'shem shamayim, and that somehow through engaging in the mitzvah, you have a, you become closer to Kosh Baruch Hu, um, that is, of course, the pure way to go. And it's then very interesting to, to realize that we don't we don't we don't uh, we don't have enough uh, instruction in this area where l'shem shamayim needs to be really tested over here, and it's you know it, it can sometimes it can sometimes really be problematic for us to engage in hidur because the hidur is based on the fact that you are uh, working with ulterior motives, and um, and that and that needs to be uh, that needs to really be refined, and so. Uh, it's interesting how we test ourselves. And then there are a number of different incidents in, in Shas, uh, Dinim that are discussed with, with regards to this, to how to, to, to test and, and see the, how the world of Aloha tries to educate us in this, uh, in this area. You know, there's a, I saw in, a, I saw in, a, a, in an essay um, a number of these points that were brought up to... Uh, you know, to, to contemplate essays by Rabbi Emanuel Bernstein, uh, Shlita, who should, uh, you know, should continue to produce his uh, wonderful shiurim uh, and, and swarim. And I, I saw him, I saw uh, an essay that he wrote on this particular uh, topic where um, he, he brings the halacha that, uh, that we have in, in, in the Gemara with regard to, to Hilchos Tfila, a person who's davening or making a brocha. So there, uh, the Gemara, brachot gimel, the brocha, the Gemara there tries to tell us, uh, teach us this halacha, that a person who makes a brocha, um, a person who makes a brocha over something, of course, uh, engage in a mitzvah, but the person who answers amen is uh, considered to be even greater than the one who makes the brocha in the first place. That's one side of the coin. The Gemara continues to make another comment earlier on, where the Gemara there says that a person who answers Amen to somebody else's brocha has to make sure that you're not allowed to answer louder than the one who recited the brocha. Seems to be two different sides of this coin over here. You know, is there kind of a contradiction or not? So he quotes... He quotes from uh, Rabbi Yosef Leib Bloch, from uh, the Rosh Hashiva of Tells. Uh, you know, he gives us 
in his uh, in his sefer Shirei Das, he gives us a kind of a um, you know a musar approach to this, an insight to, to this potential contradiction. Uh, so he says again, you know, um, why is the one who answers Amen considered to be on a high madrega than the one who's saying uh, saying the brocha? And so he suggests as follows: he says that the person, you know, who uh, who answers Amen has a psychological barrier to overcome, and that is he has to respond to somebody else, and no one likes to be told deep down. No one likes to be told what to do, and no one likes to to have to march to the the drumbeat of somebody else. Um, and therefore, there's a kind of a natural yitzhora that exists in uh, in an individual uh, when you're told to follow somebody else's lead, and uh, and the yitzhora therefore always tells you. It pushes you to do the exact opposite of what you, you even may have originally intended. Um, and so, so uh, Sarah Yosef Leib Bloch says that this is exactly the story. When you hear somebody else uh, say something, you know, you have the option of whether, you know, of, of deciding whether that person deserves a response or not. So you hear somebody make a brocha, you know, okay, you got no choice if, you, if you're a from yet you got to respond by saying amen um but in 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 recognition of putting uh, the person who's answering amen into into that position where he's got to he's got he's got to so to speak contend with his eight horror um which is trying to pull him away from stepping in line for somebody else well what can you do he's got he's got to say amen so therefore um in in recognition of putting him in this position uh, that he has to break his yetzora so that he can follow somebody else and answer amen. So therefore, the halacha doesn't allow him to respond louder than the one who made the bracha. Uh, he may wish to do so uh, in order to demonstrate that he's uh, okay. I'm being forced to respond to the other person, but but if I shout louder than him, then I can turn it into a counter message because I can use uh, the opportunity to say that oh. You know, you gave me the opportunity to say amen, thanks very much, but your bracha wasn't actually quite loud enough. So, you know, let me show you how the real from way uh, um, of uh, of making a bracha is supposed to is supposed to be done. And and that is sort of read into this idea that you're going to respond louder than the person who made the bracha. So anyway, it's just interesting to see how one of the Balea Musar here takes a, uh, 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 and tries to extract from it, you know, an understanding of human psychology for the, you know, for the for the, for the greatest of us. Anybody who's, who's you know, who's, who has to answer amen to a bracha or respond, etc. You know, sing in shul, say say Rabba, whatever it may be. But in the end of the day, one needs to know that the psychology of competition uh, between individuals, uh, you know. Is is so much deeper than we uh, we give it credit for, and so you see in the world of aloha over here, they're trying to make you aware of it at the si same time as try to protect you from uh, from falling victim to this uh, to this yetsahora. Anyway, this is the the tells of Rosh Hashiva's um, insight into this uh, into this particular idea. Um, now, uh, an another area of of uh, of consideration. Uh, another set of halachas here, which is so permanent, so uh, pertinent to all of us, 
um, is the mitzvah of hochayach tochiach et amitecha. You have a mitzvah to to rebuke a fellow Jew if they're doing something which is asu. Um, and uh, and you know, for for some people, this is like the greatest mitzvah in the world. You know, to be able you've got an opportunity to jump it at somebody and 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 rebuke them. Um, but yeah, of course, the Torah comes along and tells us that you you know you should the mitzvah is only going to really work. Um, you know, if you do it in such a way, yes, there's a serious mitzvah here, but it only works if as a result of engaging in the mitzvah, you don't end up backfiring and uh, and, and 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 causing more destruction. Than existed in the first place. So how do you, you know, how does rebuke really work? And I, I have to admit that with, you know, when when I've been put to the test to try and engage in this, you know, especially with uh, your own kids, you know, it's so hard not to fail. I like, you know, it's so hard not to fail. Anyway, one of the tests and one of the ways to appreciate it is based on a Rambam. You know, the Rambam in Yuchot Dayot says as follows. The Rambam says that rebuke will only work if uh, the person that you're trying to rebuke feels that you have his or her best interests at heart. And so that's that's really what's got to come across. So when you're going to come along and tell someone that they violated an Avera or they shouldn't be doing it this way, you've, you've got to have that in mind. You've got to have that. The, you know, the only way this is going to work is if a person feels uh, that uh, that you have their best interests at heart. But 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 if you if you're going to come along and and tell somebody off in such a way that um, that that you don't convey that message, then you've you've you failed. The mitzvah isn't uh, isn't really the mitzvah. And um, so the way Rabbi Bernstein puts it, he he says it really. Uh, beautifully, he says, if you need to tell someone that his uh, head to fill in, tefillin shorosh, needs to be adjusted, it shouldn't sound as if you're telling him that he as a person is also in need of adjustment. That's his way of packaging the idea. And so this is, uh, again, uh, you know, within the world of, of, of Musar, areas which are so hard to really work with unless you are made aware of uh, how to really test, um, how to really test where your where your tochacha is, uh, if it's in place or not. There's a there's a mice. I don't know again who the people are, the names of the characters, but um, uh, he quotes a, a story where he uh, he hears a mice about that uh, uh, takes us back into the. You know the depths of hell in 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 a in a Nazi concentration camp, and uh, the the description is of a of 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 inmates um, who are only given a single slice of bread a day, um, and the question was, you know, how do you deal with this? Do you do you wolf it down straight away as soon as you can, um, or do you try and save it? Do you try and ration it? And the risk of rationing it is that something will happen uh, if you don't eat it right away. Anyway, there was a, a story here where a particular uh, survivor 
told over that he was a, a younger boy at the time and he received this piece of bread and he, he literally gobbled it down. And as he finished, he felt a tap on his shoulder and he turns around to see an old man looking at him. And this the old Yid says to him, this is not a way for a Jew to eat like an animal. You know, you, you, you shouldn't, you know, without making a brocha, you know, this, this is not the way to do it. Now, of course, you know, how are you going to respond? You're absolutely starving. You're in the middle of this hellhole. You know, how, how do you deal with that? Anyway, I don't know what went through the, the boy's head at the time, you know, but as soon as, as, soon as he turned around to see the, the old man, the, the old Yid takes his, his own piece of bread, he breaks it in half, and he hands one half to the boy, and he says, yeah, this time make a bracha. Now, so, so there, you know, that kind of, that kind of uh, rebuke for somebody is, uh, is, is laced with lishma. You know, the, in the end of the day, uh, he, has, he has the young kids, um, you know, he's, he has his well-being at heart. That's the nature of, uh, of the musariah that we have. So again, anybody who wants to understand, you know, you, there's potential for machlokas. In the machlokas, you want to try and get a point across. It's all a shame shamayim. These are some of the ways to test, uh, you know, actually what was what was going what was going on over here. Now, so there are different ways to say this, obviously, and um, you know, the minute confrontation uh, presents itself, we uh, we obviously have to really be careful as to as to how lishma everything everything is, and um, you know, the, everyone knows the famous Mishnah Prikavot Perik Hey, where the Mishnah says. That there are two types of machlokas in there's two types of uh, confrontation, um, you know there's Hilal and Shammai, right? And there's Korach and his and his and his group of people versus Moshe Rabbeinu. And there are many different insights into how the how to understand and appreciate how Chazal um, say over this particular how they define the two different types of of confrontations. Uh, but in the end of the day. The point that Rabbi Nishnabishitz draws out of the out of out of that um, statement in in, in Pirka Avot, uh, and that is that any dispute that's there for for Shem Shamayim says the Mishnah Sofale Kayim, you know, and one that's not the Shem Shamayim, you know, will will not will not last. How do you interpret that phrase Sofale Kayim? You know, who what does that mean? That Machlok at the Shem Shamayim. You know, will endure. What, what what does that mean? Will endure. So Rabbi Yonason, uh interprets as follows: that sofalit kayim doesn't refer to the dispute, but it refers to the parties involved. Um, in other words, it's not a description of the outcome of the dispute, but rather of how the how the dispute is being, you know, is being run. It's its trademark. How can anyone tell if the dispute is motivated by lishma intentions? Uh, or not? What's the litmus test? And so Rebunison says as follows: If the two sides endure together at the end of the machlokas, then, the, in other words, if the two people can still be in the same room, davening in the same shul, uh, you know, the, you know, their families can still engage, then that's one great way of showing that the machlokas is actually shame shamayim. But if it's like ends up in absolute turmoil, then uh, possibly you have to ask yourself if this. 
really is uh, is l'shem shemayim, and he he quotes he quotes uh, a, a proof to this um, you know to this to this insight of his uh, Hillel and Shammai when they disputed each other uh, over everything, and they disputed strongly, you know. But the Gemara tells us the Gemara there says the Gemara says that they still married into each other's families. They still had simchas together. And 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 share and share you know life cycles together. Um, the fact that there was this massive machlokas was takel shamayim because it didn't you know they argued about the issue and it wasn't on the level uh, of personal ego that uh, you know that would, des- would destroy the shalom or the truth that came out there. The Gemara tells us of another famous story that we all learn when we go through Masechet um, Brachot. The Gemara talks about uh, uh, Rav Gamliel, you know, who was the head of the, he was he was the Nasi, he was the head of Sanhedrin, and he he had a, a big machlokas with Rabbi Yoshua, and uh, he really flexed his his uh, muscle of authority uh, to the point where the Rabbonim who were witness, witnessing his treatment of Rabbi Yoshua got together to demote him. They they voted to demote him because he, they thought that he was he was uh, unnecessarily aggressive in this area, and uh, he didn't have to. He shamed Rabbi Yoshua, and you know why did he go that far? It was un, you know, it was uncalled for, and uh, and therefore he was demoted, you know, from uh, from his position. Now, the part that's interesting for our our discussion here is that. How does Rabban Gamliel act to the fact that they demoted him? So the Gemara says that Rabban Gamliel, you know, was not absent from the Baisa Medrash, you know, even for one hour. In, in other words, that, yeah, you have all these Tamarei Chachomim, you know, uh, grouping together to depose you from your position of leadership as the head of the Sanhedrin. Um, and 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 you okay? You've got no choice but to, you know, but to accept. I mean, I guess you could have, if you weren't a if you weren't a holy person, you would have fought physically. You could have maybe called in your your protectors. But in the world of of great tzaddikim, this was an amazing a, a result. And look, the way that Chazal interpret the stories is that um, Rabbi Gamliel was trying to. Uh, assert the authority of the Sanhedrin um, because this particular point in time follows very close on the heels of um, the Khurban Bait Shaini. And so before the, the, the Khurban Bait Shaini, the Sanhedrin already lost its power, you know, in, uh, you know, for, to, to Paskin. Um, but, but after the Khurban, when they try to repiece everything, uh, there was so much despondency among the people uh, as a result of the Khurban Habayit. And uh, and now everybody was like, you know, do we really need to listen to everybody? You know, where's the leadership? How, how does it? And in order to affirm that that the laws of Torah were still every bit as binding, even in in in, in post the Khurban, Rabbi Gamliel acted forcefully to assert the authority of the Sanhedrin in Yavne. And that, that that's how Chazal some before she understand uh, you know the motivation of Rabban Gamliel, and therefore according to this interpretation, 
question, Rabban Gamliel's harsh treatment of Rabbi Yoshua was the shame Shamayim. Um, now you can challenge, you can challenge this. You can say, ah, oh, that's just you know pious talk because you don't want to say anything bad about Rabban Gamliel. But the question is, how do you test that? How can you prove that? How do you know Rabban Gamliel's, you know, Tucker not just trying to, um, you know, fight for his own, uh, his own ego and, and and protect his own authority? And and the answer is, it's because if you look what happened after he was removed from from his his position as Nasi, he goes straight back to the very same base over which he was the so-called Rosh Hashiva, and he sits down and he learns in the same place across the table. From uh, from from the rabbonim that uh, that ten minutes ago, you know, he uh, he commanded respect and he had authority over him, uh, etc. This, say the Balaam Musar, is is uh, is demonstrates that uh, his behavior was not personal, personally motivated. If it was Papa, if it was really personal, he wouldn't have allowed himself to 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 get straight back into learning right there and then. You know, he would have. He would have left and set up his own base on Midrash, you know, etc. Um, now the Gemara continues to tell us that um, Rabban Gamliel had, uh, you know, Rabban Gamliel had other uh, run-ins with other Rabbonim, um, and part of it was, you know, part of us was the so-called uh, um, policy of accepting people into the base on Midrash, and as you know, this famous story, he was very he was very, very harsh. He had very harsh standards um, before accepting somebody into the base of Medrash. And, uh, you know, the Gemara Masechet Brachot of Chavzayin, Chavchet, there the Gemara tells of the story where um, his standards were too strict. And eventually when he was demoted, um, they changed policy and so many more uh, students came to learn. And, you know, and the Gemara says that Rabban Gamliel questioned his own behavior. Maybe Tucker did make a mistake, etc. Because there were so many more people now that were interested in learning in the base of Medrash than he had ever been seen under his under his management. You know, um, but the fact is, he never started his own base of Medrash. Uh, and he didn't come along. Hey, I'm going to start my own and show everybody. You know, this is how how, how it should really be done. Um, again, this is the same. This is the same interpretation. By the Tulsa Rosh Hashiva, you know, that tries to show you that this is a you need to have a litmus test in in the case of confrontation within the world of Torah, I guess in general too, as to whether something really is the Shem Shamayim or not. And 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 the and one of the tests is this scenario that after all is said and done, you know, Sofolit Kayim, will the two sides be still able to get on to get on with each other? You know, this is uh, again, all of these are Divrei Mutar, which I guess we've heard many a time, but it's just always an opportunity to, uh, you know, to to emphasize. To emphasize. So, um, okay, so this is this is now this is now uh, this this brings us a little bit to to our original to our original story. Um, you know, how how do we how do we understand this 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 agarita this agarita here? Um, just before I jump into it, uh, I just uh, I just remember now that there was uh, another mice that that Rabbi Bernstein brought in his essay. 
he had an interesting uh, anecdote as well. Um, he, he, he spoke, uh, he spoke, I don't, I don't remember who, who told him the story, um, but bottom line is he, the story zooms in on a uh, shear in, in Ponovesh Yeshiva given by, uh, given by uh, Rav Shach, that's all. So um, he, uh, he, he had this minag like many Rasha Yeshiva do, that once a week he gives a, a general shir, shir kali to everybody, to the entire Yeshiva. Anyway, one particular occasion, he was, he was, uh, he was into the shir uh, just a few minutes, and uh, one of the bochrim there, one of the younger guys, asked a, asked a question um, which unraveled Rav Shach's entire approach. And Rashak thought for a moment and then said, nothing I can do. The shear is over. And he closed his Gomorrah and, and, and sat down. Uh, and, 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 the, and the anecdote goes that he sent a message to speak to this. He wanted to speak to the, the young Bocha who had, who, had, who had challenged him in front of the whole Thai Yeshiva and, uh, you know, and caused him to, to have to rework his approach. Anyway, so the Misa goes is that the Bocha goes to meet Rav Shach and, um, and, uh, and, and, and like he, you know, you can imagine what was going through this guy's head. You know, was it, was it right what he did, whatever. Anyway, so he comes in and Rav Shach tells him to sit down and he says to him, you know, Kola Kavod, you know, Big Shkoyach, you asked an excellent question in the Shira today. And he says, I just want to tell you the other answer. So this is the, this is the answer to your question. And then he presents, uh, his his chidush, which effectively takes care of the question that the that the student had had asked. Okay, so the bocha now then says, yeah, oh, unbelievable, you know, he he, uh, he apologizes for causing Rosh Hashiva any embarrassment, um, and that it's a pity that Rosh Hashiva hadn't thought of this response at the time, so that he could have uh, corrected him or answered him up. So Rav Shach said like this. Rav Shach said. He says, actually, this is the answer that came straight into my head as you asked your question. Um, but since it was such a good question, um, he says, I, 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 in my own mind, was on the spot. You know, I wasn't sure uh, whether the answer that I had in my head, you know, came to my mind because it was the right answer or because I had to say something in order to put you down and answer you in public. And since I couldn't verify in my own mind what, what you know what the truth was behind this answer at the time, I had no choice but to step down. But now the shear is over, and there's no you know there's no there's none of this public scenario involved. And now I've reflected on the answer, and I do actually believe that the answer was was truthful at the time. And I thought you'd uh, you'd like to hear it anyway. That was his uh, interesting anecdote. So to finish up our our chiddush here, um, let's go back to the story of of Rabbi Barbar Khanna and how Rabbi Yaakov Vetlinger, um, you know, interprets the story. Again, what what was happening there? This, this Arab uh, merchant took Rabbi Barbar Khanna to a certain crevice in the desert somewhere, uh, and he um, he took a, a spear. On, t- on the top of which he placed a piece of wool, you know, drenched in water. And uh, he then thrust the spear into the ground, into this crevice, and he brings it up, and the, the wool is singed and burnt completely. So 
Here's Yaakov Etlinger. This is what he wants to suggest. He says, we just learned that the Mishnah defined Korach's Machlokes against Moshe as a Machloket, which is not Neshem Shamayim. Uh, in other words, Korach's goals were political. Korach's goals were, were personal. You know, the famous Rashi explains that, uh, you know, he, he was upset with Moshe Rabbeinu's appointing of his cousin, El Tzafan, you know, to be the head of the family of Kahat, even though El Tzafan came from, uh, you know, his, El Tzafan's, uh, came from his uncle, who was, uh, he was younger than his father. And uh, everything sort of revolved around Korach's own, own ego. And the same thing can be said, as the Mishnah says, that the Machloket, that's not L'Shem Shamayim, is, you know, Korach and his Ada, all the people around him, which means they were also in it, um, you know, as a personal affront to undermine Moshe Rabbeinu's authority. And therefore, in reality, you know, none of them had actual L'Shem Shamayim uh, in, in the in Machloikas. They all had something which was, which was very personal, and they took the opportunity to undermine Moshe Rabbeinu to get it. You know, was Korach really interested in performing the avoda in in a, in the Mishkan? You know, Korach asked Moshe Rabbeinu all these alachic questions, as we all taught by the Rashi. You know, about the the, the house full of Sifrei Torah if it needs a mezuzah. You know, and the, and the beggar that's all tchelet if, if the string needs tchelet. He's asking Moshe Rabbeinu all these alachic questions. What do you think? He's trying to find the answer. No, he just wants to ridicule Moshe Rabbeinu. You know, um, and undermine him. You know, this is exactly what he was trying to do. The whole idea was Korach was trying to undermine, he was trying to mock Moshe Rabbeinu. So what he was simply doing was he was taking Frumkat, he was taking Torah, and he was using it, you know, as a kardom lachporbo, you know, as an axe with which to dig. Before Shim point out that you should translate the word kardom not as a spade with which to dig. A spade, you understand, people dig with it. Uh, it's an axe to dig. You don't, no one digs with an axe. That's exactly right. They, 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 they didn't go in there, L'Shem Shamayim. So this is uh, this is all personal political agenda. And so this is, says, this is what he says. He says that, um, you know, Rabbi Barbarachana, when he comes to the site where Korach is buried, so it says that he took some wool and he dipped it in water. Right? And, he, and he, he puts it on the tip of the spear and then he he lowers it into the into the into the crevice and it burns. Says Yaakov Etlinger, this is exactly the allegorical portrayal of Korach's uh, downfall. He took some wool. So if you look at Chazal, Chazal use you know wool represents uh, um, the 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 hard grade material out of which you make clothes, and clothes are considered lechavodu letiveret. You know they. They they honor a person. They they telegraph about who the person is, and therefore you know wool represents that which brings kavod, you know, to to a person, and uh, and therefore korach kavod was at the tip of his spear. So in other words, that was the cause of his of his war against Moshe Rabbeinu, but he didn't he didn't. Presented as such, and obviously, you know, he wouldn't have got by other people. He would have been shut down. So, what did he have to do? He had to couch his personal grudge um, 
he had a camouflage it. So what did he do? He he took the wool, his his personal grudge, and he, he dipped it in water. Now Chazal used the metaphor uh, of water as a as a metaphor for Torah. So he dressed up his personal grudge against Moshe Rabbeinu in uh, in a sugya in 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 halachic questions. So he's covered, you know, he's camouflaged in a, in a, in 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 a kapota, you know, and and then he he, he takes this uh, he takes this wool, i.e. he's covered, camouflaged in halacha, and he places it on the top of the spear, which uh, with which he is going to attack and so to speak, uh, you know, incapacitate Moshe Rabbeinu, and he. Presents attack as being motivated by l'shem shamayim. That's that's the that's the metaphor, and uh, you know Rabbi Barchana takes the the spear with the wool in water on the tip of the spear. And he, he 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 sends it down into the crevice, and when he withdraws it, you know the wool has been burnt, and a fire represents the destructive effects of machlokes. And as uh, the confrontation heats up between Korach and Moshe Rabbeinu, um, Korach's presumed interest in, in the L'shem Shamayim Avodah of the Mishkan, you know, evaporates completely. And uh, his quest for personal comfort comes, comes to the fore. And uh, he and his entire group meet their, uh, meet, meet their, their, their end in the most uh, horrific story. And so, um, Therefore, this is how he interprets, uh, you know, what happens with um, with Rabbi Barachana and Agarita there. And so, um, you know, this, uh, I guess this is an opportunity just to uh, do Chazora, to revise, um, you know, Musadika elements that, uh, that that really confront all of us every time there's some sort of a confrontation, uh, you know, between uh, between people. And you want to try and see and understand how our psychology works, um, uh, these ideas really help you uh, appreciate it. So, you know, in, uh, in in summary, what we're basically trying to say is that, number one, we first gave uh, an insight by the, by the Telzer Rosh Yeshiva, you know, um, with, with regard to the fact that whenever there, whenever there exists two people in a relationship, uh, even from people, dedicated people, Menshevik people, you know, there's always an underlying psychological relation, uh, you know, element over here of of one-upmanship, and you have to even in the middle of shul when you're answering kaddish, you're saying amen. You know, one has to one has to realize that the halachas are there to try and teach you that um, psychologically one has to be careful, and therefore you can't answer amen, even though it's on a higher madrega than the one who made the bracha himself. Answering Amen is because you have to say Amen to somebody. That's hard work. But just in order to make it a Shem Shamayim, you can't answer Amen Yeshmei Rabba or Amen to any brocha louder than the person, you know, who's actually uh, making the brocha. You know, if you're going to do, if you're going to invest money in a Hidur Mitzvah of Mitzvah, you've got to make sure and ask yourself that, you know, is it for one-upmanship or is it Taka, you know, in order to... Uh, in order to have a in order to demonstrate your affiliation to uh, the nature of 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 mitzvah, um, so this is then uh, the nature of machlokas in general. We went through, and one of the tests 
that uh, the Telzerov suggested was to try and, uh, and and if you want to be proper rebuke only comes when you have the other person's uh, best interest as heart. He extracted that from the Rambam and then he gave certain examples of uh, of uh, of how people who wanted to put someone on the right, right track went out of their way to prove that they were looking after their benefit and not just uh, trying to pull the person pull the person down. Um, okay, so that's really uh, uh, some of the ideas that we went through. I'll leave it with you here and wish you a great Shabbos for Parshas Korach. Okay. Thanks, Rafe. Okay, man. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful Dvar Torah. Thank you. Bye. Bye.